Father God, uh, the the realities and the truths that are in the passage we're going to look to are providentially anchored in a day like today, Sanctity of Life Sunday, where we need to know where life is, where true life is. And so my prayer, Father, for me and for my friends is that today, Father, you, you take us by the hand and you lead us deep into these two verses we're going to look at today. And, and we are embraced by the reality of who you are, your grace that is found in Christ Jesus, the forgiveness that we have from any sin when we put our trust in you, and that we would be embraced by the fact that you are this awesome, you are this glorious, you are this worthy, Father. May the magnitude of your greatness not be lost on us today. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. So if you have your Bibles, uh, and I hope that you do, uh, grab them, open them up to uh, John 1, verse 1. We are continuing uh, two weeks ago, I think it was two weeks ago, we started our journey through the Gospel of John, and we are still in the prologue, uh, which opens up this gospel. The prologue is this, uh, this part of the gospel of John that basically serves to, to introduce us the, to the most fundamental, the most radical, the most mind-boggling facts about Jesus Christ. And uh, it tells us who he really was, like who he really was and why he really came. It sets the table for us. And so let's read the first five verses, and then I'm going to zero in on the last two verses here. Um, So John uh, 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So last week we looked at this reality, the Word. And um, as we looked at the Word, we we recognized that the Word is the Son of God. The Word is Jesus Christ, pre-incarnate from all eternity. And the Word is somehow stunningly both God and with God at the same time. He is the one through whom all things were created. There isn't anything that exists right now that wasn't created by him. And he sustains every single thing, every moment of their existence, such that through, through him all things have their form, they have their being, they have their existence. This is the word. This is Jesus Christ that, that John is talking about. And then John says in verse 4, he says, In him was life. In him, in The Word in Christ was life, and that life was the light of men. And this verse, and in some of of the next verse, we're going to be spending the majority of our time today. So what does this mean? What does it mean for John to say, in Christ was life? And for him to say that this life that was in Christ is also the light of of men. What is he getting at by saying that? Well, like, what's his goal? What's his purpose? What is he trying to communicate? And there are, are two ways 
that scripture tells us um, that Christ, in Christ, is this life. There's two ways that we see that in the scriptures, that inside Christ is life and that that life is the light of men. There are two ways that this reality in verse 4 are true. And I, I want to today spend our time unpacking both of those ways and then take those two ways that this verse is true and, and apply them to our lives in profound ways. I want to push from the question, what is John saying here, all the way into the question, how does this relate to me? How does this relate to you? How do we live our lives because of this? So that's the, the focus for today. And I hope that along the way, and I think you will along the way, see with me that there is a massive connection between John 1, verse 4 and 5, and today, which is Sanctity of Life Sunday. There is a link between life in Christ Jesus, being the very light of men, and the fight to bring an end to abortion. There is a huge link between these realities, and I hope that they are made apparent as we explore them. So let's look at the first way in which verse 4 is true according to Scripture, that the life that is in Christ is the light of men. So number one, here's the first way. Jesus is the author of all life all life. Every living thing that exists lives because of Christ. There isn't anything outside this that lives on some other source of power energy. Christ is the author. And we can see that in uh, verse 3, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. But in Acts 3, you remember the story where where, uh, Peter tells the people of Jerusalem that the people who, who had killed Jesus, that they didn't just kill a man. They killed the author of life, the source of life. They killed him when they killed Jesus. That was the author. Job 12.10, one of my favorite verses in the Bible to understand my frailty and God's greatness. In his hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. In other words, there is nothing alive which isn't alive apart from him. Every life is in his hand. Every single life is in his hand. And Job Job is talking about God, the eternal word. He's talking about Christ. Paul goes even further in Acts 17 and says, in him, in God, in Christ, we live and move and have our being. We are utterly dependent on Christ. And so this is why the life in verse 4 of 1 John, or, or of John 1, is in Christ. He is the author of all light, life. And yet this pushes even further um, than that because John in, in chapter 1 verse 4 says that the life is the light of men. So there's something deeply connected between mankind and this life that is light to us. It's not, he doesn't say it's the light of sea lions. He doesn't say it's the light of salamanders or oak trees. He doesn't say it's the light of anything else but man. It's the light of men, mankind, humanity. So there's a connection between this life, this reality of life, and mankind. And one aspect of this connection is that man, humanity, is very different, very different from every other living creature on the planet. In that, man bears the image of his creator. No other creature in the world does this. No other creature off this world 
does this. Man alone does this. In Genesis 2, it says that God formed man out of the dust and breathed in his nostrils the breath of life. And the way he formed man was astonishingly in his own image. Look at the way scripture describes this in Genesis 1. Genesis 1, 27. It says, so God created man in his own image. And then in case we didn't get it the first time, he's going to say it again. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. What this verse tells us is that mankind is utterly unique. There isn't anything like us out there because we bear the image of our maker. God did not make us generically. God did not uh, throw something together and hope that it turned out okay. When he made mankind, he reached down into the clay with his hands and he said, this is what I look like. Every single human being in some way and for some incomprehensible reason that we will spend all eternity learning resembles the eternal creator God. There's simply nothing like humanity out there. And if we find ourselves asking how this could possibly, like this reality and its greatness could possibly relate to what is a regular, seemingly mundane process of human development in utero, how that could be connected, God has given us Psalm 139 to shock us into belief. Because the development of a human being is anything but mundane. Listen to David talk about God. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. This is how all human beings came into existence. There's not a single human that has been conceived that did not have something of this experience happen to them. God made you. He made you, not in a generic way. I don't mean he pressed play on a bunch of natural processes. He formed you with his very hands according to this passage. That's how he did it. He knits you together. He intricately wove you into being. This is an act of incredible attention and detail and affection. You don't do this on stuff you don't care about. And the reason why he took this effort is because he made us in his own image. This is an awesome thing. This is an awesome thing. Every single time a human being is conceived, what happened to Adam at the dawn of human history happens again. In the womb of the mother, God makes an image bearer of himself, someone who looks like him. We are, as human beings, distinct from every other kind of material reality in the entire cosmos. We are unique, utterly unique. There is nothing like us. And this was true about you individually before you were even born, before you took your first breath. It was true about you. <laughs> before there was a single burst of oxygen 
from your lungs, you looked something like God. That's what Psalm 139 tells us. Every part of us, every heartbeat, every, every fingernail, every, every single cell that existed in our body existed for the purpose of showing him, showing God. And this is precisely why, and David talked a little bit about this, Nikki prayed about this, this is why we as a church support organizations like CareNet. This is why we do it. Because we, we, we don't, as a church collectively, and as a body of believers, we don't and we never will condone or turn a blind eye to abortion. It's just not going to happen. It can't happen. Because if Psalm 139 is in the Bible, then they are real human beings before they are born, made to bear the eternal image of God. That is a real thing. And yet, tragically, and most of you probably know the numbers, in our country, 3,000 babies die each year, or each day to abortion, each day to abortion, 3,000 will die. Globally, over 40 million, 40 million image bearers are killed every single year to abortion, which means that abortion is more deadly. Think about this. Just try to conceive this. Deadly than cancer, malaria, HIV, AIDS, smoking, alcohol, traffic accidents, combined, take all of those globally, combine them, and it is less numerically than that. The numbers are staggering, and they are all made in his image. And I know this is a complex issue. We're going to get to some of the complexity, so hang in with me if this is tough for you to hear. If Psalm 139 is true, though, if it's true, if this passage is true, then any complexity that it brings to the table, though, can't speak against the reality that to terminate a pregnancy is to kill a human being. That's what it is. But, and I, I want you to hear this, this is important, if in our zeal to protect lives, if in our desire to protect the unborn children that we're talking about, we simply resort to decrying abortion or voting a certain way or throwing money at the issue, then we miss the point of John 1.4. We miss it completely. When John says, in him was life and the life was the light of men, he's not simply saying that in Christ was the life of all human beings. It is that, that's true but he's not simply talking about natural human life. When John uses the word life here, he is pressing beyond life, pushing out far beyond it, beyond all humanity that exists, and saying something much, much greater. He's, his focus is on something much greater, and that's critical for us to see, especially on Sanctity of Life Sunday, when we may be comfortable supporting uh, abo uh, the fight against abortion with our wallets and our votes, yet unwilling to do all, all that God has called us into when it comes to this issue. And there are many things, and we're going to look at some of them today. But what this does is it sets us up for the second way in which, and if you could put it back up on the, on the screen, John 1 verses 4 and 5 are true and, and real. And the second way that we're looking at here is that the life that is in Christ 
uh, is the light of humanity because Jesus is the author of all spiritual life. He is the author of all spiritual life. This is John's main point. Jesus is the source of all spiritual life. Look at John 1.5 at the very end of this. It says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is how he describes the light in verse 4. The life, light that he's already told us is the life that is in Christ. So he's not only saying that, that, that Christ is the author of all human life, he's not only saying that, he's saying that that Christ is the author of all spiritual life. There is no spiritual life that exists in the universe outside of Jesus Christ. The life that is in Christ in verse four is not just physical, not just natural. It's not just what we see and feel in this world. It is spiritual life that is shining in the darkness and it is essential for us to have. And one of the reasons we know that John is talking about spiritual life is because if you read his gospel, it is everywhere there. Life language is all over the place in the Gospel of John. He's constantly engaging the human need, the human necessity for spiritual life. For example, John 4, you know the story. Jesus tells a woman he meets at the well, he can give her living water, living water. That is spiritual life. She will never, ever have to drink again, never. And in John 6, he says, I'm also the bread of life. You eat of me and you will never die. You will never, ever die. John 11, before he raises Lazarus, his, his friend from the dead, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And you know this one probably best of all, John 14, where he tells his disciples that he's the way, the truth, and the, the life. And these are just a handful. I could spend the next 20 minutes. I could spend the next two hours going through all the passages in the Gospel of John that engage the reality of life. And so what, is, what John is saying here is that without Christ Jesus, there is no spiritual life. There's no equation that you can create where you receive spiritual, eternal life that does not have to have in it Christ Jesus as the source. And this is precisely what Jesus taught. Look at John 8, 12 here. John 8, 12, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The light of life is only reserved for those who follow Jesus. This is the life that John is talking about in verse 4. This is the reality that he's engaging at the beginning of his gospel. And so this is where we're going to shift gears a little bit. We looked at the two different ways that that verse is true. The first one is that Jesus is the author of all human life. All human life comes from Jesus. They are made in his image. And the second one is that Jesus is the author of all spiritual life. So we have those two realities in our minds. And we know that in terms of the second one, that spiritual life, John uses the language of light and darkness to describe it. He says we are the Light, uh, or the life is the light of men. Christ entered the world as light that shines in the darkness. That's who he really was. So his words, his actions, what he said, what he did, what he accomplished through the cross, all of that is a light to the world. It's a light shining in the darkness. And what I want to do the rest of our time today 
is ask how those two realities, that he's the author of natural human life and spiritual life, how they relate to each one of us, every one of us, no matter what your story is, no matter what your background is, no matter what your history is, no matter how you've approached this issue in the past, no matter what you've done in your past, this relates to everyone. This engages everyone. And so I want to look at that for the rest of our time. And I want to look at that um, by turning to Ephesians 5, verse 7. In Ephesians 5, verse 7 through 12, or 13 and 14, Paul um, is going to connect those two realities in John to our own lives. He's going to take them and he's going to push them into the lives of believers, people who trust Jesus, people who follow Jesus. What does this look like? And I want to give you a preview as you're turning there. The chapter immediately before this Paul describes unbelievers, the plight of unbelievers, as being darkened in their understanding. Look at the language he's using here. Darkened in their understanding and alienated from the life of God. That's how he describes unbelief. To have a a darkness in your understanding and an alienation from the life life of God. You can see already that there's a connection between John's language of light and darkness and life and death and Paul's language here. And so the question is, how does God fix this? How does he shine light into the darkness of understanding? How does he bring someone who's alienated from the life of God into reconciliation and full participation in that life? And Paul's going to tell us in Ephesians 5 that God does both of these things through, get this, us. He does it through us, through those who have already embraced the life that is in Christ Jesus. Here's how. Listen to Paul. At one time, he's telling us, he's talking to Christians, he's talking about people who follow Jesus. At one time, you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in unfruitful works, in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. So Paul here right at the start says that we were all darkness. And that's, we need to hear that. None of us started in light. None of us. We all began with that first verse. At one time, you were darkness. That's true. Paul can say that and exclude no one. No one was born with the life and the light of John 1.4. We were all born in darkness. But he says, now, if you trust him, if you followed Christ, you have become light in the Lord. When we receive Jesus, the light of the world, we become light. We become light. We become like him. And therefore, Paul says, because you're light, you need to walk as children of light. You need to do that. You need to walk as children of made and created by this light. That's how we live. We live as light in darkness because Paul says here, the fruit of this light is found in everything that is good and right and true. Our lives should look like lives that bear fruit that is good and right and true. And we should live in a way that, that desires to please God, that desires to, to serve him. Paul's making it clear that, that children of light 
press their lives into service of one thing. Like we have one job in the world as, as Christians. We make Jesus look awesome because he really is awesome. We, 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 we do whatever it takes to please him, to honor him, to show him as the treasure that he really is. Like he's really this awesome, really this great. That's how we live our lives. And verse 11 tells us that we don't take part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Um, and, and you can see the contrast here that, that, he, that he engages. One kind of work that we would do bears fruit of light. Everything's good, pure, right before God. And one doesn't bear any fruit at all. It's darkness, it's emptiness. And Paul says that when you live like this, you expose them. You expose the unfruitful works of darkness in the world. For he says it's shameful to even talk about the things that they do in secret. So Paul is telling us that the way that God shines the light of Christ into the darkness of this world is through his people, through his children, through the children of the living God, in such a way that the light of Christ beams from their very being. And he says this happens when it does, it will expose the unfruitful works of darkness. And the word here, expose, is elincho in the Greek. And what it means is, is to expose. It means to convict. It means to reprove. Now, this might lead you to think, and I don't want it to, so I'm saying this now, that the job of a Christian is simply a matter of telling people what they're doing is wrong. It might lead you to think that to shine the light of Christ is really to call out people's sins. And if we go down that path, we will actually completely miss what Paul is saying. We will miss it totally. Paul isn't just referring to, to exposing people's sins. He's referring to exposing the broken people to Jesus, to the light of the gospel in the light of Christ. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. That includes calling sin, sin, like we did with abortion earlier. That includes that. But if it stops there, we are not shining the light of Christ at all. We're not. Listen to Paul in verse 13 and 14. Listen to what he says here. This is so critical for us to see. Paul says, but when anything is exposed by the light, so that's the exposing that we do, living like Christ. Anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is, this is huge, because it, it shows us that Paul is after more than simply exposing sin for what it is. He's doing that for sure, but it's more than that. It is actively shining the light of Christ, not just on the sins people commit, and we all do. Not just on sins that people commit, but on the whole person the whole being, they need to see all of Jesus. Because he says when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. He's talking about people here. He's not talking about just events or acts or sins. He's talking about human beings. Because in verse 13, when they're exposed to this light and made visible, they become light themselves. That's not sin that's becoming light. That is a person coming in contact, coming, having an encounter with the light that is in Christ Jesus. In other words, the exposure to this light makes them light. To shine the light of Christ is to expose 
a human being who's been made in the image of God to the light that they were created to know and love and cherish and embrace, namely Jesus Christ. Which is why Paul quotes what most scholars believe is an early Christian hymn based on, I think, Isaiah 61 that says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. The sleeper is a person. It's a human being that needs to see the light of Christ. The transition of a sleeper to being awake is the transition from death to life. That's what Paul's describing right here. That's what this is. It is a spiritual shift from walking in darkness, having a darkened understanding, to embracing and loving the light of Jesus Christ. Now remember, Jesus said, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. They will not. But they will have in them the light of life. John means for us to know this Jesus that we must follow. That's his whole job. Like his whole goal with the gospel. And really, we said this first week, that's the whole reason we have this book, is to know this Christ because we are called to show him to the world. We're called to shine the light of who he is to this world and show Jesus in our lives, in our words. Because he is the only light that matters in this world. Period. So we must show him. And the way that Christ shines in the darkness of this world, like I said, is through his people in their lives and how they talk and what they say how they love. Ephesians 5, 1 through 2, which is just north of this passage, is one of the clearest pictures of what this should look like. Paul tells us here, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So we most certainly refuse as followers of Jesus to walk in darkness. We most certainly refuse to embrace any unfruitful works of darkness. We just won't have anything to do with them. And we never refrain from, from saying that's sin. God, God is not honored in that. God is dishonored in that. We don't refrain from calling sin, sin. But what this passage tells us is that the ultimate paradigm, the ultimate reality that governs our lives as beloved children who desire to show and imitate their father, to, to display and bear his image in a way that is real and true, is that we must walk in love. We must walk in love. All of us. Because it doesn't matter what your past was, It doesn't. All of us, myself included, were in darkness. We were darkness, Paul says. And we were guilty of sin just as vile, just as damning as one another. We have histories that are saturated in sin and brokenness. And here's what Paul's telling us in this passage. Christ knows that. He's seen it all and he loved us and he gave himself up for us. He loves you and he hasn't forgotten any sin you've ever committed. 
He loves you in spite of that. And he loves you so much that he gave himself completely up for you. That's how his light first shined on your soul and woke you up from the dead. His life is what it cost for you to experience his light. That was the payment. And so in our passion, and I'm speaking mainly focusing now on, on sanctity of life here, in our passion to fight for the lives of 40 unborn, 40 million unborn human beings across the globe every year who are made in the image of God, we cannot afford that this is, afford to, 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 to imagine or conceive that this is, um, we cannot afford to forget that this is bigger than legislation. This is bigger than simply laws. The souls of men and women who maybe have considered abortion in the past or are considering it now, maybe have had abortions in the past, they matter just as much to God as the unborn babies who have died. We cannot forget that. We cannot. Christ did not come into the world to save innocent people because there are no innocent people to save. 1 Timothy 1 says, Christ came into the world to save sinners, which is great news. And people who struggle with this issue, who are considering it, who are fighting through this, who don't know the truth of Christ, who, who maybe know it but just are put in a situation where it feels impossible to go any way but through an abortion, they need to hear this the most. They need to hear this news the most. Because in, in the blindness of the light, in their, their blindness to the light of Christ and in their alienation from the life of God, they need Jesus just as much as we did. There is much more at stake than simply policies and government conversations. And I'm not saying that we muzzle our mouths for what abortion really is. Clearly, hopefully, that's been communicated that I don't. Um, nor am I saying that we don't fight in every forum and with every vote to bring this tragedy to an end. I believe we do both those things. We absolutely do them. But here's the deal. The only thing that's going to change the reality of abortion in the world, in our culture, in America, is if hearts change. And if people see Jesus, that's the only way that it comes to an end. And the kind of change that's needed in those hearts, and I'm not just talking about hearts of people who are considering abortion. I'm talking also about hearts of people who should come alongside those people and love and care for them. Everyone's heart needs to change. And the kind of change that's needed can only be found in the light of Christ because it's in his light that we are fully exposed. Everything so much brokenness, years and years and years, forgiven in his light. So as children of light, and I'm talking to you, church, as children of light, we must lay down our lives just like Jesus did. We must do what he did in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Lay down our lives. And it may mean, it may look like for you to lovingly counsel women, couples, who are considering abortion. And don't feel like there's any other solution in the world. That may be what it is. That may be the reality for you. It may mean for you adoption. It may mean, I know you can't take care of this baby. I'll do it for you. That's what it may mean for you. It may mean giving all of our time to walk with someone 
who is lost and broken and simply needs to know that God loves them and their baby. Like that's what it may need to be in our lives. And it most certainly needs to be us ensuring that our church, our church body, us as believers are a haven for people seeking grace and mercy that is found in Jesus Christ, especially for women who've been through this in the past. That's what church is. We are a group of forgiven people that love to have more forgiven people added to us. And so this can't be a political issue only. The unborn lives matter to God and the lives of those who are caught in the darkness of this, no matter where they are in that framework. They all matter, and they matter eternally to him. And so as we prepare for communion in the next few moments, I, I want us, all of us to, to really, and this is just across the board, all of us, myself included, to really do something very, very simple. I want us to ask God to help us see this issue through the lens of the cross of Jesus Christ. That we might see the, the tragedy of abortion and the darkness of all those situations that lead to it through the cross of Jesus Christ and that we would know that the light didn't enter the darkness so that it would remain dark. Like the light didn't enter the darkness so that the darkness would win. We're going to see that more next week. The only solution to the tragedy of abortion in our world with every one of us, every one of us involved, is for us to shine the light of Christ by giving our own lives in love, just like Jesus did for us. That's the only solution to this. And it's going to mean giving our time, giving our energy, giving the very grace and love that we received from Jesus when he looked into when he looked into the darkness of our soul and all the brokenness and sin that is filled our lives and said to us in the gospel, I love you and I give myself up for you. That's what he said to us. That's what he said to each one of you. And we need to tell people that this can be true of them right now. Those words can be true of them. If his light can shine into our darkness, then it can shine into anyone. So please join me in praying that, that we, would, we would fight for the lives of the unborn. We would absolutely do that. We would do that with passion and love and devotion and grace. But not only that, that we would be willing to do whatever it takes to show the love of God and the love of Christ Jesus to a world that will never change on this issue unless it sees him. It won't. But if they do see him, I mean see him for who he really is, and the light courses into their souls, they won't only change, but they will become light themselves. We need to believe this. We need to embrace it. We need to do it in our lives. Let's pray. Father God, 
in, in a room this size, even though this isn't a great amount of people, this is large enough for me to say that I know that there are people all over the map on this issue. I, I, I know that that's true. And we, we all come to this issue, maybe at different places, maybe in different ways. But one reality is true. We all need Jesus. We all need Jesus. And whether we're talking about the sanctity of human life for the 40 million unborn babies each year that do not get to take their first breath, or whether we're talking about the sanctity of life for the women or couples or, or, or families that are struggling with this issue because it's a real concern, it's a real factor in their lives, and they can't see any way out, no matter where they, we are in this spectrum, Father God, or whether we are people who maybe have voted or given money or, or written off this as an issue that we can just shoot at from a distance and not get involved in, in our lives, I pray that all of us would recognize that we are called to see this light, to embrace it, and to show it. We are called to know Jesus and to show him to this world. And the most glorious thing we know about Jesus is that he died for us. And therefore, our lives should look like lives of sacrifice, willing to give up whatever it takes for people to see the light of Christ. Father, help us to know what that looks like. Help our hearts to feel this, Father God. Your love for sinners like us. In the name of Jesus, I ask this, amen.